0: Hello there, and thank you for tuning in to the Learning As We Go podcast. In this episode, Andrés and I talk about how to get the most out of a workshop, both as a participant and as a coach. We also go over how we usually set up and how we structure our hands-on workshops. Hope you enjoy. Yes, how are you, Andrés?
1: I feel a bit rusty. It's been it's been a, it's been a bit
0: <laughs> Yeah it has. Do you do you still speak English and not
1: dumb English? Barely, I think. Well <laughs> let's see. I mean I think my my ability to speak has improved, but my brain is a bit fried uh in finding ways to express myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If that makes any sense.
0: Tell us what you've been doing the past few weeks and, and this.
1: Yes. So I've been in Turkey. Um I've been at the handstand factory intensives which is what they call kind of like retreats where they invite people to train handstands and flexibility with them and this is the company I do social media for so I've been doing a lot of work a lot of training and yeah just being in a different place meeting a lot of new people socializing so a lot of energy in every way possible <laughs> so I've been there for what, what was it? Fifteen days, sixteen days. So it's two weeks uh, because they do one week for beginners and another week for intermediate and advanced. So I was there for everything, kind of reporting through their social media and also training with the advanced participants. So yeah, it's been. It was a bit hard, but it's great. Now I'm back. I've been having a few days to um, recharge, but still my brain needs needs a couple more days. But I was very willing to to get back to the podcast and and having these conversations. So that's the reason why uh, we've been radio silence on Spotify. If you, yeah, if you're one of our 15 followers (laughs) that listens to every episode, thank you for being there. That's the reason why.
0: I also really like how our energy levels are gonna be matching because you're just coming back from a super intense period of work, pretty fried up. And I'm just coming back from paternity leave, had my first full day back yesterday. So I'm just like full of, <laughs> of energy wanting to do stuff.
1: Great, how, how was it for you, both the paternity leave and coming back?
0: Uh, it's been great, spending some quality time with Ip. <laughs> I mean, I think it's always with any kind of paternity maternity leave that there's a lot of good good things and and there are also a few times when it sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. But you also but been traveling a lot, no? I don't think so. Didn't you visit your family and and whatnot?
0: Oh yeah, during Easter. Yeah yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. We we did. Yeah, that was that part was of great. the the beginning, no, of the month or
0: yeah, yeah it was. Oh yeah, that's right. I guess it didn't really it feel so long ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the last recording with it, which by the way, I still have to edit. It was what you were at your uh, Where were you? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you were at a different house
0: <laughs> Yeah, at my family at my in-laws exactly Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that didn't feel like kind of part of the paternity leave because the the kind of routine Only started after that week.
1: Yeah, Yeah. okay
0: But it's been good. It's getting it started in uh Yeah, I guess it's kindergarten English, Mm -hmm. and he's happy about it. Okay. Still managed to find a bit of time to do handstands with Yip, or with him, more like when he was sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it's also super, super great to be back. And I guess I also sometimes get the feeling when I'm away from, since it's your own business, right? Mm. So I kind of start to itch to get some things done. Mm. Yeah when I'm away for, for too long. But this was a perfect amount of time for me, I think. I could probably have gone a few weeks more uh, without getting too frustrated, but uh, I, I was ready <laughs> yeah. to get back.
1: Yeah, I can, I can get that. Yeah. All right. How does it work, the kindergarten? Or maybe a better way of phrasing it. In Denmark, what is the common way of, of approaching this for kids? Is it like a few days per week first, just a few hours, or how does it work?
0: At least a week, I think, for the first... For, for all your kids basically <laughs> so you start i mean we actually did it over two weeks so first we just came from and was there for half an hour an hour while where i was also there
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that was the first three days um where the third day we were there for a few hours and he ate lunch there and all that wow and then the fourth day i i was away for i mean i took a walk around the block so it was like half an hour <laughs> <laughs> And then the next day it was kind of the same. And then you know the next week we started to up the time. And then by Friday he was there for a, a full day.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah. A full day is.
0: That was from like uh, from eight and until I think almost three o'clock.
1: Okay. Wow. Okay. How is he taking it?
0: He's super happy about it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's loving it. And I mean, it was like the Friday where he was there until three. It was also the the idea was we were gonna pick him up after his second nap, but then he slept for three hours. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> Usually he sleeps for an hour and a half, maybe two hours if he's okay. really you know going at it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and how are you guys coping with it? It must be weird not having the not having him for so so many hours.
0: Yeah, but that's it's also nice to <laughs> so get a little <laughs> bit of time off. Yeah. But I mean. When we deliver him or, or drop him off at around eight o'clock, that's just about the time where he's gonna be taking his first nap,
2: mm.
0: and then he wakes up maybe two hours later because apparently he sleeps like a yeah, so good when he's at down down there, and then he's maybe uh, you know awake for three, maybe maximum four hours, more like three hours tops, and then he's gonna take a second nap, and then we take him you know pick him up again. Right. So it's it's not so much waking time that we're missing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I see.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. But he's also been a bit uh you can feel that uh, he also spends some energy when he's down there.
1: Yeah, makes sense. But
0: it's all good. It's pretty cool.
1: All right, so is there anything you've learned during this uh, paternity leave period? Oh,
0: a bunch of things. <laughs> Let oh. me see if I can pick something. <laughs> um I think I think that's always healthy to relearn as a as somebody that's self-employed is that it's I think it's been super healthy also to take a step back and just prioritize taking some some time with the family.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so I think I'm going to go with that as the main thing. Yeah. Just reconfirming and relearning that.
1: Do you feel when coming back now like is it just the energy that you you bring a bit different or that, was it enough space that it feels like this is a new episode now, a new chapter?
0: Now, it doesn't really feel, it's, it feels a little bit like the same, but it's also, I, I think it's also because it, it's not like I've been like doing nothing at all. Mm,
2: yeah.
0: I've still been dealing with my online clients. Um, yeah. And a few other minor things. I mean, I try to lay off as much as possible. And, and, and that, that's, I think that can be a struggle. <laughs> to mm, actually, mm. Yeah. To sure. actually really try to, to not do things. Yeah. Also because, I mean, the last few weeks of, of potential leave, I also need to communicate with with the clients and see face to face because, of course, we need to set up like the times and agree. Okay, we're still going to meet at this. Mm. Yeah, so there's still been, been some things. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like I feel like it's a new chapter in my professional life.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's getting back to it. A little bit different because um, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be uh, teaching the uh, personal trainer course uh, for some time now. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, of course, it's negative from a financial <laughs> standpoint because it's a really <laughs> yeah. nice income. But it, it's nice to have some extra time, just for developing my own my own business.
2: Yeah,
0: and I mean, especially this first week coming back, where I've just been, like, <laughs> writing programs for a few hours each day just to catch yeah. up on things. Yeah.
2: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, transferring everything to to True Coach and uh, yeah. And I was trying to like spread out the transfer of clients over to TrueCroach, but then uh, because I've been on Patron's leave, it's still like basically all of them at once.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You you probably needed to do all the programs now, so might as well just do it there, no? Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's good. So I guess that's also what's brewing for you. Yeah, pretty much. Like programs left and right. For you, for you, for you, for you.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What about you and this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the lesson that I've learned, I guess I've learned many things these days and I already forgot them as well. (laughs) But uh, what you said made me think a bit because, you know, I I do feel like when I have events like this, there's, there's a bit of a before and after from the point of view that I kind of plan so many weeks before for that event. And then when coming back, even the routine I follow is different, both like. Even with my own training, um, but especially what I need to do for work, you know, it's like so big events that the content of what I need to do is different and usually it changes so much. How can I express it? Like I work remotely, right? So I, I rarely meet my coworkers and then I'm with them for 16 days where we have the chance to talk about many things and and also just like have this human connection and, and receive validation from my work in a, in a different way or... Or on a more regular basis and um, so when I come back it always feels a bit different like okay now my how I approach my work where do I put where's the bar for different things how much I want to push different things then also we have a, a bit of a decompression couple of weeks after the event because everybody works very intensely so it's like a slow start so I always feel like yeah it's a bit like Almost not not quite as I asked you like if it's a new chapter, but almost there's a little bit of a before and after. Yeah, which I feel is quite beneficial because it helps me reflect better in how I used to do things after having this break and rebuild a bit differently my some of my systems or or, or things I used to do.
0: Yeah, but I guess also uh, I I think it also often feels more like you know starting over getting starting a new chapter. Just because you've been somewhere else,
2: yeah, for sure, and
0: you're coming back home, yeah. Now I'm I'm still working from home. I have been. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly,
1: yeah. I think I think that's that's the main the the lesson I would say is that it's very beneficial from from time to time, and I say time to time as like four maybe four or five months. Plan something that gives you that opportunity of having that little space away. Or or have a big change somehow that serves as a tool to re- to do these reflections and and yeah. and maybe change things because sometimes we get so much in this like process of doing things that we yeah we improve them and we continue but we don't get never that distance that helps us realize like oh why I've been doing this in this way for this long when maybe I could also do that.
0: Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is basically every once in a while you need to break the routine.
1: Take a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, break the routine, yeah. But I mean, in the end, I, it's not like I went on holidays, right? I was working also hard in a different way, but but having some sort of of change,
0: shake things up. No, but I I, I like that.
1: So I, I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah. And what's brewing? What's not brewing? <laughs> it's <the> question. <laughs>
0: um,
1: pick pick something, pick some, something a bit different. Also,
0: also because while while you're thinking about what to what's what to tell us about Andres, and uh, maybe we should also just let people know that um, we've actually implemented a new thing, where <laughs> yeah. Andres has set a timer, and we're going to mm-hmm. spend a maximum of 15 minutes just rambling as part of our intro, so... Um,
1: yeah, we're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might or might not have forgotten in the first two minutes to start the timer, but I have it right there in front of me. <laughs> The thing that we forgot is to, to invent some sort of science that we can give to each other to know how much time is left. <laughs> okay, anyways, <laughs> what's brewing? I guess something connected to this is that we might have found a new apartment, kind of out oh. of the blue. So I don't want to say fully yet because we're waiting for kind of the landlord to come back after the agency kind of contacted the landlord. But this kind of came out of the blue. We were totally not searching for it anymore. We had been searching for apartments for like four months without success, which was a very stressful process here in Rotterdam. It's kind of it's kind of hard finding finding nice apartments. But yeah this came out of the blue and if this happens it is really gonna be a before and after new chapter of my life. <laughs> it's um uh... that's
0: awesome man. So we're looking
1: forward to hear this. So I'm gonna go with yeah what's brewing is that maybe maybe in four days we're packing our home or maybe not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, once again, breaking the routine that you've established in the... <laughs>
1: Pretty much. <laughs> awesome. All right, so approaching the end of these 15 minutes.
0: Yes, let's move on.
1: <laughs> this is great. Okay, so we have a theme. Oh, yeah, we do. We do have a topic.
0: Do you want me to to, to, to break it or do you want to... <laughs>
1: please, please, go ahead. Yeah,
0: no, but this was actually your suggestion we decided we were going to be talking about workshops
2: yeah, Yeah.
0: And also partly because you've just returned from what could also kind of be defined as a workshop, even though it's called an intensive. Mm. But is an intensive really just a long workshop?
1: Mm. So, Mikel, what is a workshop? <laughs> Oof, that's a tough
0: one. And now, but I would say a, a, a workshop, the way I would define is a very uh, rather intense and condensed deep dive into a specific topic.
1: Yeah, I'd say. Yeah,
0: um, I think that, that way I, I would I would describe it.
1: Yeah, and I think because it's kind of a loose thing, right? Like there's different labels that people use for sort of the same type of event or service: masterclass, or seminar, or I don't know. I've heard it in a different way the other day, and I forgot already. But they're very. Very much the same thing. And then because it's quite loose, then people apply them in different ways, right? It can be in person, it can be online, it can be a mix. I would say like after a certain duration, my thought would be to call it more of a course than a workshop. Yeah. And something where accommodation is included, I would also tend to call it differently, right? Like for example, what I did now these weeks where the participants pay to being a place and you have accommodation, food on top of the classes and lessons. I would tend to call it, yeah, retreat or something like that. Yeah. But then again, this is where maybe maybe you would call it workshop and that's also <laughs> totally valid.
0: No, I would also probably uh, steer a little bit towards what you're saying. But I think the reason why I wouldn't be in a rush to differentiate too much between those True, I guess, as long as it's no more like a week, maybe two, it's still a, it, it, a, a few of the same principles apply that it's very short, relatively short duration still to, mm. to learn about a, a top topic and really take a dive into it. Yeah. And maybe too much to actually digest the material that you're taught while you're at it. And whereas a course, I mean, that, for me, that would be several weeks, right?
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah Whether there's both you're going to have the ability to learn more, and also you are going to have the ability to apply more things as you're learning them because it's over a longer period of time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess it also depends on the, took a shallow dive into the topic and you just brush the content a little bit, or you go over like different aspects of the content, like handstands, and you go over how to train different aspects of it, different types of handstands, how to program it, and then it's more like, okay, this is now a course. Yeah. So I guess it's like the the depth of the content, which I guess translates in in the total volume of hours that it has. Yeah. All right.
0: I mean, at least if it's if it's a good workshop, then more hours means that you're gonna be diving deeper into things, right?
1: Yeah. Usually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this, this I think is important in a way because I mean we have in our notes uh, talking about some of these mistakes we've made in the past, but I think um, I'm gonna just talk about one I made and probably probably you can relate uh, with this, which is wanting to give uh, way too much content for the hours that the event is going to be. So like if you're going to teach a two or three hour workshop and you want to talk about everything, you know, about handstands and give all the content you can, it's not going to (laughs) work. Yeah, spoiler alert, (laughs) not going to work.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe that would be a good segue to maybe start out by talking about like a few of the things we've learned about hosting workshops, and like yeah. for for both of us, I guess we've both mostly done hands-on workshops as hosts, mm-hmm. uh, and also flexibility workshops, Done mm-hmm. so together as well.
1: Yeah. A partnership. Wow. This is this is how the how the bromance started, no? Yeah. This is the... The first point of contact was the organizing these classes slash workshops. Exactly.
0: Wow. But um, I like what you're saying about this, that, I mean, if you have a workshop, of course, there are limits to how much material you can present people uh, to, to, to people. Yeah. And I think it's, in that way, it's very similar just to having a normal one-to-one session. I mean, if you're asking somebody to do a handstand and you want to correct something, I mean, you're going to be able to correct a few things during a session.
2: Yeah.
0: And I mean, after one try, maybe you're going to be able to maybe correct one thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or improve
0: on one thing, but you can't just like unload all the information because it's going to overload them and it's probably going to have a negative effect instead. Yeah. And of course, during a workshop, you can, at least that's in my opinion, you can offer people present more information than they'll be able to implement during the workshop. Because then the value will be that they are able to implement it in the following weeks or months.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: But it still needs to be at a point where it's not just like lost in a sea of information. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be at a point where maybe I'm not able to completely uh, do it yet, but I'm able to follow like the path towards what you're saying.
1: Yeah. And this is a really good point because I think there's also the aspect of, and I've seen this, which I don't fully agree with people that call workshops some sort of like long classes where it's like one class, right? Where like you don't really give information, you just make people experience and go through things. And it's more like, yeah, okay, you go through exercises, but the exercise itself is never explained or how to progress with it or why do we do this exercise or how things work.
2: Yeah. So
0: maybe, can I just jump in here? Because I, yeah. I think that's a really cool, cool, uh, a really good point you're making and maybe we could just give a practical example. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, a class, I think we, we agree on this. If we're doing a handstand class, and let's say we're working on press to handstand, then we would find an appropriate exercise for, for, for all the participants to do and just kind of control and give them the amount of sets and reps and whatever they're, they're gonna be doing and focus on that. But if we're mm-hmm. doing a workshop, we're going to present them with the whole path that they're going to be taking from that level and to the point where they'll be able to to do the press to handstand. So maybe yeah. it'll be like, okay, at the point you're at right, right now, you should probably just like get a solid tuck handstand before you're going to really invest too much time into this. But once mm. you have that, the next step would be to do this and then this and then this. Yeah. So that, that, that to me would be the main difference. Like the, yeah. the workshop, you're kind of paving the way for them. Instead of giving them the fish, you're giving them the fishing pole, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's the goal, in, in my opinion, for, for, yeah. for the workshop.
1: Yeah, well, that for me, it's also the same. Like the main, the very, very main difference is is like in a class, you you use the tool and you just train your body and you experience the thing. The, the goal is to get the body tired by using the tool. In the workshop, it's about presenting the tools and making people understand how to use them. And I actually make a big point when starting the workshops in telling people this is not one hundred percent a workout. You're gonna get tired. But the goal is not to get tired, the goal is to learn to use the exercises. Yeah. Which is a huge difference when, when teaching these two types of events.
0: Especially for the handstand workshops, right? Where do you really need to especially the beginners? Yeah. Like don't don't wreck your, your wrists on the first exercise we're gonna be doing. <laughs>
1: yeah two hours like, is a lot of time to to wreck your body yeah yeah
0: and you're gonna have maybe 20 quality sets in you or something like that right maybe yeah. spread them out
1: yeah. yeah 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 exactly and this i guess is one of the lessons we've learned just out of practice uh, probably at the beginning we were not so careful with these things or that introductory speech that you always give at the beginning of the workshop and give these disclaimers or make these things clear um yeah adjust expectations for people yeah
0: exactly i think like starting out by managing expectations what are you gonna what am i am i hoping that you're gonna be taking away from this workshop and how should you approach the material that i'm presenting to you yeah and then i would say like you, uh, you yeah, like you said it's about giving people tools giving them the understanding so so in my opinion a good workshop it's not necessarily one way you like afterwards you achieve a new skill i mean that's cool if you do but where you're really reaping the benefits of a workshop would be when you're implementing the tools that you've been taught over the next probably months. Yeah. And I mean, if it's really, if it's a long and good workshop, you're going to have material to work with for several months.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and even it can be a way of of elevating your training where like maybe the training you're following or your program is exactly the same, but now you're going to be more effective because you're going to be able to implement better cues, have better focus, understand what is supposed to happen with each exercise because especially with with skill training you can do the same exercises in very different ways and some yeah. can give you much better results than others and it's just a matter of yeah being very aware of what's the focus and, yeah what's, what are you trying to pursue and achieve with each exercise which can provide a huge difference for for the development while while training
0: yeah and i think Maybe it would make sense to just go into what to do as a participant also mm-hmm. to get the most out of a workshop, because I think it fits right in there. Yeah. And I think one of the major things that comes to mind is that, that if you really want to get the most out of, a, uh, out of a workshop, then don't treat it like a class where you're just coming to you know wreck yourself. Mm. Just do the thing. I mean, because I know a lot of people that like they go to a workshop, have a good time, oh, super interesting material. Then I'm gonna go back and do exactly what I've been doing up until this point.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And kind of like not at the at the new stuff they being presented, and then it's like yeah, cool. That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the smart way I uh, I would say is uh, ask a lot of questions to the teacher, like like really. I love when people start like asking like, but why this, why that, what if this? I mean, yeah. in the end, it's, it's about trying to get the most information out of like how to apply the tool, how to use the tool and taking notes is super important. Also, taking notes, maybe if possible, making videos.
0: Yeah. And I would say also like pick, pick a few of the tools you are being presented. You don't have to, you know, you're probably not going to be doing everything you, you did in the workshop. Mm. Pick a few things. And do them consistently over a period of time and see how it works for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, really, uh, yeah. That's really where the goal is at, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I remember one of the, the best workshops, I mean, for me, at least, that I attended was when I, I think it was almost back in 2016 or something, I attended Emmett's, Emmett Lewis' workshop, the M3 Modern Methods of Mobility. And it was, I was just so psyched afterwards also because I had so much stuff and so many, uh, like, methods to come back and, and try mm. out. Yeah. And I just had, like, a fully stacked notebook of things to do. Like, yeah. after, okay, after I'm done with this for a few months, I'm going to go over to this one and then I'm going to start, start to try and implement this new thing.
1: Do they, do they give this one back then?
0: Yeah, I have. A... For
1: the listeners, I have here the, the notebook that we give in the seminars of M3. Yeah.
0: I have a super old one full, full of, of notes. notes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I really think it's like one of the biggest values of the seminar they, they give is like the depth, not only the depth, but how, how, how well it's structured and the fact that they give this. So as you say, there's so much that you can then implement or study afterwards. Yeah. I would say as well that that's the most important thing of a workshop. If you attend a workshop and then it, there's not material to dive into or study for weeks, then something is a bit off, I would say. Yeah,
0: you shouldn't be in doubt about what your takeaway is. Mm. Yeah. Something, you know, went wrong with the person doing the workshop, or you forgot to listen at some point. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Or a mix of both. <laughs> <laughs> fell asleep halfway through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Can happen. Yeah. I mean, it's also the thing, right? Like, it has to be said that there's there is space for people that just enjoy the practice and want to experience something, but they don't want to like learn the most out of it. And yeah, sure, I mean, we, we, we also have people that are curious for the practice and they're a bit more distracted with explanations because they're not really into the nerdy aspect of, of things and they just want to do some exercises and whatnot. And that's that's also yeah. great, right? Like, it's not that we, we don't welcome people that are not really into the practice and how to develop their... But, but the important thing is that a workshop should offer that possibility. Like, if you want to learn and if you want to take information and then you can apply to develop your practice and understand the skill better. It should be provided in some way or another.
0: Yeah. And I mean, maybe you're just attending a workshop just to get a different perspective on things. But I'm personally, I'm still a pretty strong believer that if you really want to actually experience another perspective and really like experiment with it uh, or take it in, you'll still need to apply some of the tools over a period of time, try it out in practice, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: and not just writing down the uh, the exercise and be like, "Okay, cool, I got my in in the bank." Mm. Okay, may- maybe do it so you so you understand some of the nuances. Yeah, how it actually feels.
1: Yeah, I think I think here is also, I mean, we could we could talk a bit more into how how workshops can separate a bit into different categories depending on the the experience of the practitioners and not, like in general with the skill, but also with us as coaches because it's. It's quite different when you do a workshop for people that you never met before. Say, like you organize a workshop with a dance studio or like, I don't know, some sort of movement studio in a city. You go there, you never met the people. You have two hours to explain kind of the basics to give them some sort of knowledge there. That's very different than if you do a workshop into press to handstand, focus for the people that you teach regular classes to. where. Yeah. It gives them a chance to they already know you, they already train with you, but of course in a one-hour class you don't have the time, nor you should aim to explain the details of these things because the goal is to train. Yeah. And then in this workshop they have the chance to dive deeper into a specific topic and then you go all in there. Um and the content right approach for these two workshops should be quite different specifically in terms of the depth. So I think it's something worth also like having in consideration, and this maybe is more for the possible trainers that are listening that are considering getting into workshops. When organizing the workshop, it's quite important to know this type of context, right? So then you can decide how much in-depth you want to get into the thing, how loose the structure should be, because if you don't know who the participants are, maybe it's not the best to have a super rigid structure because maybe the people are not ready for it, or maybe it's too the opposite of advanced basic for them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's that's one of the main things that I think, in one of the main ways that I think my workshop have, has evolved that, you know, you realize, okay, it's it's nice to have an idea of what, what do I want to cover or what areas do I want to cover, hmm. but also knowing that, okay, in this kind of subject, there is a huge possibility to differ a bit depending on where people are, yeah, and we can put the focus in different different areas of the skill.
1: yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> this could have been part of the very first thing we talk about in terms of defining the workshop and format, but maybe just talking about what what does a workshop offer like from, I'm building my business as a coach and I want to offer different things. Why would I consider offering a workshop? And of course, in our case, we, we have experience in some sort of niche, which is handstands and flexibility, but it's a format that might work for other type of contents as well. Yeah. So maybe maybe it's worth also talking a little bit about that in terms of in more detail. What is the actual format of it? So like what like we go to a space, you know like what happens there?
0: <laughs> yeah. What happens at the workshop? What otherwise? do you think?
1: <laughs> okay. Should I should I say what I was?
0: Yeah. Do.
1: Thinking about a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how can I phrase this into a question so it's not me just like bringing it directly? <laughs> Didn't work. Yeah, so like, as as we said before, you, when you're a coach, you might consider want to start teaching classes as well, which is a different revenue stream. It's an opportunity for you also to grow and develop as a coach, get exposed to different people and, and offer services in that way. I feel like offering these workshops is both a chance to get yourself known in different locations, especially when it's a skill that is a bit more niche in this in this way, but if you teach any sort of movement-based type of skill, whether it's acrobatics, pole dance, any sort of like aerial disciplines. There's probably some sort of studios in other cities where you can go and teach a workshop about a specific type of thing, maybe your specialty in this discipline. So what it offers is on one hand, this opportunity of get yourself known to new people that maybe you can then bring at your classes, uh, to your classes or, or create traffic to your coaching. But also it offers this opportunity of increasing the knowledge of your current clients because it's not common that we have the opportunity to have, you know, time to explain in depth certain important aspects of exercises or methodology or progression models, etc. So what you do is you basically have a room that fits the needs of your skill and you invite people, usually it's medium-sized groups, right, from six to, let's say, what, 16, it's a good number. I think above that, yeah. then it becomes a bit uh, of a different type of event, maybe. And then during 2 to, what, 14 hours, maybe, distributed in different days, or yeah. you can have different depths in this regard, right? But it could be like a Saturday morning, two hour and a half, three hour workshop where you go talk about your thing and help people experience these things. That That would be a little bit this idea of the format.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, what, you were, what you were also getting into was how to use it as a coach. Yeah. There are two main approaches. Mm-hmm. And let's see if you agree, on this. Okay. So I think there's the one where it's actually where the main focus of the workshop, obviously, you always, always want to help people evolve, but where it's like, okay, workshops are actually one of your main income income revenues. Mm. And the other one is, okay, I'm going to be doing workshops. Well, what I'm using it for is more just like getting my name out there, getting in touch with potential clients. Yeah. And of course, it's not like it has to be one or the other.
1: Yeah, it's an overlap always, yeah. Yeah,
0: But I mean, if you're offering a workshop where it costs uh, like 10 euros to, to participate, yeah. then you are definitely uh, more interested in just like getting people to know you and getting yeah. the word out there yeah. that you're actually teaching.
1: 100%. Yeah, I would say like any workshop that is, I don't know, under 50 euros, it's not it's not to make a living out of
2: <laughs> no, no no
1: and that would be already a cheap one for two hours yeah
0: definitely yeah i mean especially if you're also doing the advertising yourself and also spending a few hours on that
1: mm.
0: i mean if, if i'm if i'm getting paid what is it in euros i can't really make out the math right now you can say
1: <laughs> you can say kroner then i can i can translate uh,
0: if i'm having if i'm getting paid like let's say five thousand to do a workshop
1: yeah that's like three hundred fifty euro each. Yeah, something like that.
0: I mean, it's a nice addition to my salary, but if I'm doing that, you know, once a month, th- that doesn't get me very far.
1: No, not at all.
0: It's a nice addition, of course, a nice mm-hmm. addition, but it's it's not what's uh, like gonna be my main income in that case.
2: Yeah.
0: So even if you're you're getting paid like a decent amount,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you you need to be. <laughs> getting a lot from it, either hosting a lot of workshops or, or hosting some very expensive ones if you want it to be a main revenue stream.
1: Yeah, and this I guess is the, we can go, I think it would be valuable to go a bit more in depth also in, in terms of the payment, how to split with the place, and just to give an idea of how, if people are interested in starting this, how, how our approaches, because I think we all start knowing, like I have no idea how this works and we just throw something there and then Hope for the best and in time we learn things. But yeah, like as you said, I think I think workshops for most people become this kind of supplementary type of service that you can offer. And I would say that for a lot of people it's more like a way to to spread the reach, both for their coaching, but just, just for other type of services you can provide.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I also think if you're gonna go on tour, for example, with a with a workshop, let's say you can actually you you're at the point where you can let's say a tour, America, just mm. traveling around, doing a workshop each week, and that's kinda of gonna be your main income for that for that month, basically doing a tour, yeah. like a rock band.
2: Mm,
1: yeah.
0: To be able to do that, you probably need to have a pretty significant following.
1: Yeah, or, or a solid network at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've been able to do something like this in Denmark recently where, I mean, it was when I visited you, I taught three workshops in a week, and we had aim for four. Sadly, ours didn't really work out, which is something that, of course, happens sometimes with workshops. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm kind of known in Denmark, but obviously, I'm not like famous by any means. But it's just places that either I've worked with before or places where I studied. Um, so it's having some solid contacts that help set this up, right? But for sure, if you want to, if you want to structure your business model where this is your source of income, you cannot rely on on trusting these these kind of events that like this work they have a higher risk let's say it's in this way if you have a big audience audience and a big network usually it's easier to fill a group of 14 15. yeah exactly all right so we jump a bit into this more details about like from the coach teacher point of view i think it would be interesting to i mean we, we are 40 something minutes in let's say maybe we have like Five to ten minutes less, but talking a little bit about the practical way of of approaching a workshop, like how what, how do you structure it? How do you like contact, negotiate things? Maybe
0: yeah, we can do that.
1: And maybe it could be also worth talking about the structures that we use, just to give us an example. Because actually, I'm I think we're quite aligned, but I'm not I'm not sure how you approach uh, content wise your workshops. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great.
0: (laughs) Content-wise, wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, when we start at the beginning, it's always like, um, you have no idea how to price them. You have no idea how to negotiate with, are you renting a studio? Are you like contacting places? And then is it a fixed price that you're paying for the event? Or is it a split from every ticket? Who's doing the registration? Who's handling the personal details of the participants? It's like all of these details that if you don't know, it adds insecurity to the action of approaching a place and yeah. and making something happen.
0: Yeah, I think like with everything uh, as a coach, if you're doing it for the first time and you're just like trying it out, maybe just set the price a bit low and just see how it goes, get some experience mm-hmm. and just yeah. get it done. Yeah. Uh, the first workshop I did, uh, the the price was uh, five euros. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, you can go higher than that. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: you can definitely go higher than that. For like, how many hours?
0: Uh, that was three hours.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I said you can go higher, what I mean by that is you you should go higher.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it always depends on the context, right? Like. I I've taught a free workshop as part of like um, acro convention event where like I th- it was like an hour and a half or two hours, but then again it's like you know this thing is happening there. There's a lot of people involved. You want to be part of the community and you want to give something there. And then it's a great opportunity also to to get new people into your system or yeah. your, your network.
0: But but I I would almost say that if you're if you're charging five euros maybe just do it for free. Instead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Five euro really doesn't make sense. That's true.
0: I mean, uh, because if you just set it up so low that you just want people to show up, of course, there's something about, like, yeah. uh, people actually showing up if, if they've paid. But uh, yeah, no. you, you can go higher.
1: I mean, I think, like, something fair, I don't know, between 20 to 30 euro per hour of the workshop could be, like, a nice way of thinking about it.
0: Yeah, as, as a starting point, uh, I agree,
1: yeah, yeah, because then then, of course, it depends on on the details, but like from the participant point of view, I think this is sort of like people that are used to taking workshops is sort of the expectation, and usually when you when there's something a bit more expensive, then you expect that the value is better or the person has more experience as a rule of thumb, <laughs> of course it's yeah. never like that one hundred percent, but I think it's very important, like the, these things that I was mentioning before are you having this deal where you pay a fixed price for the time that you use the space and then the rest is for you or you use a split type of thing? Like for me personally, the approach I use is like the the signing up is, is handled by the by the event, by the place. So they do the inscriptions and then usually it's a split somewhere around 40% for them, 60% for me. Um, So I just send an invoice at the end of the day, which maybe yeah. makes me them more money than i could have earned otherwise but it's a way for me to make it much simpler because now i don't have the time to handle all those details
0: yeah i think that's the two main main ways to do it right either like you doing all the the, the price setting doing all the tickets maybe getting a little bit of, of, a, of a bigger cut i mean you should be getting a bigger cut if,
1: you should you shouldn't
0: <laughs> that's how, how you're doing it yeah or, or letting the studio Way of doing it, uh, take care of that, and it does take away a significant amount of work and stress. I'd say not having mm. to take care of it yourself. I mean, once you have a system up and running, it's not too bad. Mm. But um, it's definitely very easy just to have somebody take care of that.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I've also sometimes had agreements where uh, I just get a set amount.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, which is also nice. Mm-hmm. Because then I don't have to worry about how many participants actually yeah. sign up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, if you can get that deal in order, I mean, that's that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Unless it's, yeah. Of course, there's also a disadvantage to that because, I mean, if you're doing a workshop where, let's say, you have 16 slots open, if you're getting a set amount of money for it, if that's your deal with the place, it's probably going to be a bit lower than what you have would have earned if. Mm. All sixteen starts gets filled out.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's pros and cons always. Mm.
1: But um Yeah, it's always that's why it makes sense to have also like a minimum amount of participants uh yeah. negotiated to make it happen or not. Because of course if you're like renting a place or paying a fixed price for it, you might actually lose money with, with the event, which is not the yeah. it's not a great scenario.
0: And I think also in in price setting, I think you should also think about okay, how much time am I actually spending setting up the workshop? Mm. Is there transportation involved as well? Mm. Yeah. And also, how much time I actually spending doing the workshop? And if you do the math, then then you should also say okay, what what am I actually gonna gonna get out of this? Yeah. For for all the energy you're you're putting into it. Yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: And then again, of course, you don't necessarily have to be getting rich off of doing the workshop <laughs> if one of your goals is also just to get your name out there get some exposure. Yeah. That's also worth something, but you need to make up your mind as well like how much is it actually yeah. worth? Yeah. And I mean, of course, in if you're just like starting out, it can be worth like doing stuff where you're not earning a lot just just yeah. to get known. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say even if the if your goal is is more marketing wise then then you should also think how to you should have some sort of like system afterwards where like you either send them an email or there's some, some sort of follow-up or you invite them during the workshop to try these things out they get back to me so you encourage the creation of this relationship or setting a foundation for it which is very yeah. different than if you do a workshop where you you know you earn money then you, you might even Depending on the duration of it, at the end, it gives almost like a program for the participants. So it's like you know, like you can contact me, of course, but but this, the the much more done, so you can go free on your own for for a while. Yeah, like you can even adapt your 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 way of communicating and and the follow up contact points with with the studio or the customers.
2: Yeah,
0: and I always ask, oh, yeah, not ask. I always give people the opportunity to sign up to my. Uh to my news on um, my mail list
2: mm-hmm.
0: so they can both hear about when there's like new things coming and maybe receive some tips as well yeah i mean if i if i were to make better use of it what i would also do is that <laughs> i would get people to sign up to my mail list and then i would actually like send them some extra tips later on yeah. right? so to kind of yeah. see okay uh, some of these people i mean that would increase the odds yeah of getting some of these people to maybe sign up for online coaching and
2: yeah stuff like that yeah, exactly.
0: That, that's the main way that I've I that I've grown my mailing list is is mm. through doing workshops,
1: which is a topic for a whole other episode. Mailing list and why they're important and all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for me it's it's worked quite nicely to to just have this because I'm as we said in other episodes, like I'm 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 a bit more loose in terms of my coaching just because it's like my side thing at the moment, but like I encourage people to get in touch with me to have follow up in in terms of how the exercise is evolving and these type of things just to create this communication and start a relationship that could develop in coaching in the future. Yeah. I think this, this could be a good place to stop.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, um, I I don't (laughs) think I have any new topics in regards to workshops just on the, on the top of my head.
1: Okay. I just want to share one, one small thing for, for people, because I struggle with this a lot in all the knowledge I have, how's the best way to put it out there. And um, for me, the the structure that I, I that is the one I still use today. I basically use the same type of content I follow during my classes in terms of how to say like the blocks of skills that we work on. So for example, warming up and conditioning first, then automatization and you know like more the drill type of work, technique and type of endurance slash strength. So that's like the blocks I go through, and I have a an idea of different drills that usually beginners need for this type of things. Of course, with experience, you develop these things, but you're starting from scratch. It could be nice to have just like, if I'm teaching a two-hour workshop, I have like half hour for these type of things, and then you just go through them. Yeah. could be a very good way to start for for a kind of simple structure to follow.
0: Do you want to maybe just like compare like the different uh, topics we go through over a hands-on workshop? That'd be fun.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: So I think, like you, I usually I start by having a chat about some some basic principles in, in the hands, like how do you control the balance? Yeah. With your hands, acting like feet and uh, mm-hmm. like center of gravity, all that, all that shit. Mm-hmm. And also a learning experience was that uh, I used to do like the warm up first and talk, and then people would get almost cold before getting on my hands, so I changed yeah. that up. <laughs> yeah. Back in the days, so do that, then do a a, a warm up. Where we also talk about like how to warm up, especially the the wrist and the shoulders, a little bit about mm-hmm. shoulder position.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the same. I I like the, to use this. Uh, I like to use this uh, comparison, saying that for hand balancers, wrists and forearms are the same as ankles and calves for ballerinas. Yeah, I like that. You can use it in your workshops from now on if you want. I give it to you.
0: I'm gonna tell people that it's my, my quote.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. that's fine. I- the few listeners will know.
0: <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're not lot of my workshops anymore, so that's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then I go to uh, usually go to kick ups, like entrance to transcend. To
2: mm-hmm.
0: Kind of have that as a whole topic. Mm-hmm. Either do kick ups there, or depending on how the group is, I might start talk about fall technique. Mm-hmm. But that depends very much on how the group is, mm-hmm. because if there's some people who are like, okay, I can't kick up because I'm so scared. Okay, then we're gonna do this first. Yeah. But if people are all right uh, with kick up, especially if, if they have a wall or something, then I mm-hmm. prefer having the kick up first. Yeah. Before we start to uh, yeah do the uh, do the falling drills, and I mean, some workshops, if everybody is like com- completely comfortable, it's like we're not gonna talk about that then.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Falling out of handstand.
1: Yeah. I do the same. Yeah. Yeah. So far, it's very similar. I have like a block of like a progression model for bailing out of handstand, so like how to go out safely. And it's yeah. pretty much the same. I, while, while doing warm-ups, last conditioning exercises, I sometimes dropping technical cues as well, but then pretty much the same thing. Either I go directly to kick-ups, or I spend first safety and fear yeah. part of the therapy, or I just keep it if the group is advanced enough.
0: That's yeah, fine. Yeah. And then do I usually start with, depending on how the kick-up goes, Hopefully, it's going to go well for most people. They can kick up to the wall. We're going to start doing some things with the back to the wall before going stomach towards the wall. Mm-hmm. Focusing, now I'm talking about a beginner workshop, right? Mm-hmm. Just like going over the basics, toe pools, heel pools, and then depending on the group, we're going to go also into like some basic shape changes. Almost always, we're always going to go through the, the tuck, but it's not all groups where we get to the tuck with the stomach towards the, yeah. the wall. Depends yeah. a little bit on, on the group. Yeah. And then finishing up with some conditioning work because that's already two hours.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean it's pretty, pretty similar what we do. And then the nice thing of it is that if you if you go even like a level higher of like what is the content of each of these pieces, you can basically apply the same structure for total beginners or more advanced. You just change the content according to the level where they are. Yeah. And then give them harder so like of course when when talking about learning how to balance, if you have People that are like intermediate slash advanced, maybe starting to be ready for one arm work. Then the whole balance thing is like, okay, maybe things to refine balance, maybe more like heading variations. And then you already start with one arm work, for example, which is quite technical because it's the progression model they need. But basically, the structure was the same way. So maybe kickups instead of just basic entrances, you start doing different variations of presses there with like some technical aspects.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep. I mean, if I'm having like the uh, the intermediate group, like after beginners, you can hold the handstand consistently for like 20 seconds and 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. They like to have everything like kind of related to the press to handstand because that's one of the main things you're going to be chasing afterwards, right? Yeah. So we're going to start with basically a lot of the same things, but then starting out with instead of kick ups, well, I still do a few, but then we're going to do like, you know, tug ups, straddle ups. These kind yeah. of jumping up maybe also kneeling entrances instead yeah and then relating that to the press to hands and how we can use the same kind of strength and then instead of just like doing regular balance work we're going to maybe do some head in and then instead of just like tuck on the wall we're going to do freestanding tucks deep tucks and and pike work instead right
2: yeah
1: yeah
0: and then the press work of course
1: exactly yeah, yeah. and then you can even go like it's not just standing press but you can also stall yeah which is like straddle l-sit press to handstand and there's a whole lot of like progression model with variations also there. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I, th- I think we also agree about this. That it's also like, yeah, yeah let's, we both do this uh, workshop structure, but it's also the structure that I would often use in a in a hands-on program.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is the way I explain it at the beginning of my workshops. I say, basically what we're going to do is like, I take the same structure I follow in my one hour class. And then we just slow it down, so we have the chance to experience all the exercises yeah. and go through like why things work in the way they work and why do we do the exercises we we do. But it's like a slow down practice, which means it's the same as like a training program as well. Yeah. I mean, we're so good at this.
0: <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was super nice that we went through this as well. Mm. It It was interesting for me at least.
1: Yeah. And it's really nice like we've we've never talked so much into detail with these things. I mean we've done workshops before together where we kind of like went through what we wanted to do then, but we came up with these structures on our own and they're yeah. pretty similar, which means yeah. we might be doing something good
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's no it's no surprise because we know that we have very similar approaches,
1: yeah, yeah, pretty much
0: but I'm actually a little bit surprised that it's so similar,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: But I bet that if we jumped into, like, the specific drills we prefer to use, yeah, I bet there would be quite a few differences.
1: Yeah. And even if there wouldn't be so many differences in, in the nuances that we offer and the cues, I think, and this is something very important for every coach out there to hear, a big part of the experience is how you communicate things and your personality. So even if you do exactly the same thing that other person is doing, a lot of customers, clients, trainees will really appreciate maybe your workshop because the way you explain things, the energy you bring in as well. Yeah. This this goes into another whole other topic, but it's this idea <laughs> that your personality and the way you communicate things is is quite important in yeah. your value as a coach, question mark.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, in regards to how people connect with you, and yeah, yeah. definitely.
1: Like people could go to your workshop, or my workshop, and their experience could be quite different just because we are different people. I mean, we're both great, but we're just different. What can we do about <laughs> it?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, coaching is a people's game.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: so you could have a horrible technical understanding, but still get lots of clients because you're really good at connecting with people.
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: you should also have good technical <laughs> understanding,
1: but yeah. yeah. All right, I think we should uh, we should stop here now. We're starting <laughs> yeah. to
0: let's please please wrap it up. <laughs> All
1: right, so thank you very much for joining to this uh, episode, and we hope to hear you again. Here, you know, uh, we hope that you hear us again soon. Yes. I think from now on, we're gonna start adding some uh, Q and A options uh, in our Instagrams with this Instagram prompt, so people can submit questions, and we're gonna try. And implement that into the episode, so we would end yeah. with some questions from listeners slash followers. So feel free to check our Instagram accounts and submit your questions.
0: Damn, it's it's the SoMi here, magician at work again. <laughs> awesome.
1: All right, take care. Noise. game.
2: Stop recording.